Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Among some of the many difficulties that people have had to deal with during this time of coronavirus, there are those who might be expanding their family. So today we're going to be talking with certified nurse midwife Dana Quealy from Kaiser Permanente, and we're going to be talking about prenatal issues, the actual delivery issues, and postpartum issues, and how some of those things may have changed and might be more challenging in some ways because we're all trying to deal with this pandemic. And hopefully those who are in the process of expanding their families will have a plan in place, and I'm sure that everyone in the medical profession wants to work as closely as possible to make sure that all of these different new requirements and conditions are met to the best of our ability. So thank you, uh, Dana, for joining me today on The Body Show. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Now, there's a lot of challenges that have gone on with coronavirus. People who are older being told to stay home, people who are young with young kids having to you know do homeschooling and educate their kids there's not a lot of information out there on the potential effect of coronavirus in pregnant women we're still learning what the effect is in human beings in general and so there's a lot of uncertainty in the world of postpartum and peripartum uh, issues for women and for men who are a part of the expanding of their family what are some of the common prenatal issues that might be unique now that women might have a different schedule on coming in and doing ultrasounds and doing routine monitoring and who can be with them? What are some of the unique challenges for our prenatal population? Well, first I want to say that um, pandemic or no pandemic, the goals of um, the healthcare providers taking care of our pregnant population um, is the same. We want our patients to have a healthy, luminous pregnancy, um, a safe and satisfying birth, and a really supportive postpartum experience. So that's one thing I really want to remind all the pregnant patients is that um, we have the same goals, and this is definitely a different moment, and we are learning also as we go along. Along with our patients, we've had, what, maybe six months to kind of wrap our heads around this. Um, and I also want to tell our patients, you know, this is a different moment, but try not to let the pandemic really identify the pregnancy. Um, let it maybe be a little side note in the baby book if you can when you get through it. Um, it's a unique experience to be pregnant, and I hope our families can really enjoy and celebrate their pregnancy. Most of us do it only a handful of times, more or less, in their whole life. Um, that being said, yes. Yeah. Prenatal care does look a little bit differently. Um, first off, I do want to remind everyone to please come in for their prenatal care. Um, unless we recommended to skip or delay any appointments, um, please come in. The clinics are working really hard. I can definitely speak for Kaiser, and I have no doubt the other clinics are working hard too to keep everyone healthy by consolidating appointments, like you mentioned, um, throwing in some lab tests or vaccines, ultrasounds, to minimize the number of times our patients are coming in. Um, definitely spacing appointments so that we don't have a lot of people clustered in the waiting room. So it may be a little emptier looking, um, and that's on purpose so that we don't have too many people in the elevators or waiting around together. Um, a lot more masks. Your healthcare providers might look a little different. You might see more people wearing scrubs or masks or goggles. 
Um, and hand sanitizer everywhere, fortunately. Um, I think, too, patients need to remember that medical conditions definitely require medical management. So we want to see you come into those prenatal appointments. Now, you mentioned some of the consolidation efforts, that if somebody has to come in and get immunizations, for example, they may also combine that with lab studies or in-person visits in some capacity. Has there been any change to the recommendations on what to do, or is it more about just timing it differently so that things can be done hopefully all at once? That's a great question. You know, the there, what to do remains the same. And fortunately, I bet you feel the same in your practice, but our recommendations are overwhelmingly common sense, which has been great. That's just like hand washing, um, don't touch your face, wear a mask when you come in, or the clinics will provide you with one. But in terms of the actual care prenatally for pregnant women, it is overwhelmingly, reassuringly the same. I like the idea of the hand washing and, you know, hand sanitizer. I'm really happy it's everywhere because that's definitely going to help. And certainly if you don't have a mask, know that you could get one. But when you're dealing with women who, you know, maybe they don't have a mask, they come in, they should also be wearing a mask when they go out in public. Should some of the pregnant women, because of the concern about the exposure, and we don't know the effects for a lot of folks who might be in the process of various trimesters of pregnancy and the potential that they actually get infected, should they be more careful avoiding big groups, trying to avoid play dates if they have other kids or trying to avoid big interactions? I mean, we all should be. But are there special restrictions for pregnant women? I know they say, you know, groups of 10 or less, maybe they should stick to nuclear family. Is there anything different that they need to do greater than the general population? No, the recommendations are very much the same. And you're absolutely right. Like, we recommend um, limiting crowds. And, you know, it's great because we've all become very good at online shopping. (laughs) We've become too good at online shopping. Might I just admit that? (laughs) But that's been great. I mean, that's part of what's trying to help, um, you know, these families stay healthy. And not only online shopping, but that is something, too, that that prenatal care may look a little bit different, is there's a lot more online uh, information provided since we don't have our childbirth education classes in person, which um, is such a great rite of passage. So, And my heart is a little bit broken for those families who don't get to come in and have that social support. Um, But those classes and that information is being replaced um, online. So most hospitals will let you have a virtual tour, which totally I recommend that, um, and virtual childbirth education. And if that's not available, while you're doing your online shopping, just shoot over to the Center for Disease Control. There's great information there or March of Dying um, to find really helpful, reliable information um, about pregnancy and even labor and delivery to take place of, you know, those childbirth classes that I bet a lot, of, a lot of couples are probably missing. Well, and I wonder, you know, we've all had to learn how to do different things through like Zoom or FaceTime or a variety of different portals that allow us to sort of have a video interaction with other folks, although it's not in person. So I'm wondering if some of the childbirth classes, you mentioned they've gone online, are they in actual like video format where you can sort of see a little icon of yourself and participating live with other people? Or is it more asynchronous, like you you watch a video that's been pre-produced or you do something separately? Or is it maybe both? 
Yeah, as far as I know, so far it's been the latter, where it's been um, mostly, I think there are a handful of people who are providing some kind of Zoom childbirth education in the community. And I know um, another childbirth education provider is starting to do in-person with less than 10 social distancing, all the appropriate rules. But I think for a lot of the materials that I've seen online, um, it's mostly online education, kind of at your own pace, which is probably helpful, too, for a lot of families who are busy multitasking. They can click online in the evening, get their section on labor and delivery and what to expect, and hopefully that's, you know, been helpful for some of those families. That's true. You know, the scheduled event sometimes is scheduled at a time that isn't convenient for anybody. So you're right. That's another aspect yeah. of allowing it to yeah, be those are, free form. Definitely. Those have been long days. I know some women who come to their, you know, they work all day and then they go to their childbirth class in the evening. And so hopefully for some people, you know, like everything, um, the online childbirth education, the online information suits them. There's also, you know, a lot of other apps that I hope pregnant women are kind of Engaging. Kaiser has an awesome app, great website. Um, but I've seen a lot more too, and I bet you have in your practice as well for like meditation, um, apps for sleeping, you know, to decrease anxiety. Um, I think maybe for the population at whole, but those are such great resources for pregnant women, kind of preparing themselves for labor, um, birth, postpartum, being calm when you have a crying baby or just decreasing some of that low-level anxiety that most of us are feeling just being part of this pandemic. Yeah, I don't want to admit how many of those apps I've subscribed to and how often <laughs> I have used them because that is a very expensive habit I seem to have. That and online shopping have really just done me in. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio, and we have Dana Queeley on the line. She is a certified nurse midwife. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the pregnancy and childbirth aspect. So when it's time to give birth, are there changes happening in the delivery room and what should people expect, particularly giving birth during a time when the hospital may not have as easy accessibility as it used to? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and Dana Quilly is on the line with me. She is a certified nurse midwife at Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about the process and how it might have changed for those who are going through expanding their family right now. Right before the break, we talked a little bit about the prenatal process. Do come in for your visits. Things might be consolidated. Education might be online. But the general recommendations are still the same to make sure that you have a healthy pregnancy as much as possible. Now, Dana, let's talk about the delivery because I've heard from a couple of my patients, and I have a primarily internal medicine practice, but also some friends who have said, you know, they're now being told there are some restrictions on the delivery process and who can be present and who can be there in the delivery room and visitors, et cetera. And that's, that's again, like you mentioned earlier, trying to keep everybody safe and keep everyone as, as healthy as possible. What are some of those changes and, and how has that been accommodated in the world of the childbirth process and, and the delivery? Yeah, I think that's the question on the minds of probably most of the pregnant population. 
like what's happening at the hospital and, um, you know, what, how will it look different? And one thing I have to say, having been working in labor and delivery for many years, it's overwhelmingly the same. Babies are born the same as they have always been born, which is so satisfying and reassuring. Um, so that part is the same, which is great, and it makes it, you know, still a, a great place to be. Um, the things that I think people will notice that's different, and some of these may be hospital-specific. So I think one thing I think uh, our patients should know is that definitely when you're, you know, thinking about what you kind of hope happens, maybe you have a birth plan for your for your birth, that you understand what the latest and greatest rules and expectations are at the hospital you're delivering at. So um, that's part of what we talked about earlier about doing an online tour since most people aren't don't have the option of going in person and knowing kind of what the expectations are. Um, like most places, when you come into the hospital to give birth, you're doing temperature checks, um, screening patients, limiting visitors. Um, so for our patients, they can have their one support person with them through the duration of their labor and birth and postpartum. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that has been really, I'm not sure how to say this, but maybe one of those positives that have come out of a, you know, a negative situation during the pandemic is the hospital is been very quiet. And I think for the first time, ever working in the hospital, I have seen more patients rest than ever before. And that's such a healing and helpful thing for women in labor and postpartum. There's a lot fewer distractions. It's overwhelmingly quieter. Um, I see patients taking the opportunity to rest. I see them doing a lot of restful distraction, like walking, talking on the phone with their family, you know, as they're in labor. Um, and so that, that has been overwhelmingly positive. Now, that's after you get your COVID screening, right? So you get rest after the COVID screening. Um, definitely is uncomfortable. A lot of people ask about that, like, how painful is it? And how long does it take to get results? It is pretty uncomfortable. All of our patients are getting screened when they come in. Um, the results usually come back in, like, one to two hours at um, the facility that I work at. And so most people are really kind of relieved and reassured to know their COVID status too before they give birth. So certainly helps us provide them with the appropriate care as well. Well, and I think that gets to the idea of not being fearful that, you know, you're having temperature checks and that actually not just helps you, but helps you to be reassured that anybody else who is in that facility has also had a temperature check and therefore they're considered safe. I know, you know, for the last couple of months, every time I go to my office, I stand in the same area and I get a temperature check and that's, you know, the doctors do it too and so do all the staff. So it really is helping to create hopefully a more secure environment for everyone. I found it interesting you mentioned that the hospital is quieter. And in fact, for those people who luckily don't have to spend a lot of time in hospitals, they may not realize <laughs> how chaotic it actually is. And, you know, in the middle of the night, there's sounds going off and loudspeakers and people that, you know, might be in distress and you're hearing different uh, loud bells and various things. So to hear that it's quieter and a little bit more relaxing, maybe that's something we should take back as you know, we go through this whole pandemic as, as a nation, as a world, 
is trying to think of some of those things that changed in a good way is creating the quiet space. You know, some hospitals have quiet hours. Uh, Yeah, I think so many of us who've worked in hospitals for years have wanted it to be not a place of um, tasks and chores and bells, like you say, but really a place for rest and healing and for some patients you know, contemplation, and it's it's amazing to have a quiet moment to greet this new person. There's almost nothing more lovely in the world, and so when we can kind of take away all the noise that surrounds that and really enjoy that quiet moment, it's, it's really beautiful. So I hope that's the case for so many patients that they can see. Maybe there's just a little silver lining. Um, I know it's hard for a lot of families that's definitely been a logistical challenge for families who have little kids at home, and that's something I definitely recommend is for patients who are approaching their due date, have a plan. How are the logistics going to work? Like who's going to pick up the kids? And what if you're in the hospital for maybe a few more days than you're expected to and only your partner can come and go? Who's going to you know, get the kids and deal with the logistics? So definitely I think that's maybe... One increased burden is just having a plan in place that you only have that one person who's coming. And on that note, there is a group of people who I miss in the hospital, and I want to let them know for a lot of our pregnant patients who have hired doulas, um, I definitely miss seeing a lot of them in the hospital. Doulas are awesome labor support people, and I want them to know we miss them, and I want to also thank them for helping our patients and the the unit, the couple, um, work so well together. I think that's been another highlight is that um, a lot of the support people, you know, you're one person, usually it's, you know, the partner has become, you know, have had a, a really major role in the birth because there's no other one there besides your healthcare team. And doulas are absolutely fundamental in helping those um, partners Learn the skills of labor support. They're great at that. So for anyone actually too who, you know, is approaching this and their partner is like got a little anxiety and is like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure I'm, I'm the person for the job here for labor, then reaching out to an expert. Uh, those are doulas. That's what they're great at. They're trained labor support people. Um, that might be something to do to give you the skills to be, you know, a great partner in you know, know quite what to do in these times and kind of know what to expect. So if you do have a have a doula and you have a, a partner, you've kind of got to pick. You've kind of got to choose, which has definitely been challenging, um, which is why I think it's been great to see those doulas invest in the partner and, like, giving them the tips of the trade. Um, that's, I think that's been actually another, you know, positive, you know, difficult situation. Interesting, because a lot of people may view that as a negative because they want to have both, but in fact, it might actually inspire and propel the person who might be a little nervous as being the partner during the labor that they can do it and they have to do it and they step up beyond anyone's wildest expectations and do a fantastic (laughs) job. That's my favorite moment when that person steps up and they find themselves in a moment they didn't expect, you know, a role they didn't think they'd be playing. And, yeah, and you know what? That's part of being a parent is sometimes you're just, you know, thrown into the fire thinking, am I the right person for the job? Am I in charge here? And, you know, I think that starts right from the from the time that, you know, 
you're expecting your baby being in labor and being flexible and being able to negotiate kind of the highs and lows of that experience. Well, and you mentioned another really important point, which is have a plan because if there's one support person and you have other children, you got to have a plan B so someone can pick them up, take them places, or, or just take care of them. So that's another aspect yep. that I think enhances the idea also, of being ready. I'm sorry. Go for it. Oh, no, I was thinking, too, for um, patients who end up with their baby um, in the NICU. That is another challenging scenario when only one of you can visit and, um, or if you've had an unexpected surgery and there's a longer recovery. I think most people think, oh, I'll be in and out of there in 24 hours and this is going to go smoothly. And overwhelmingly, yes, you are right. That is how it goes. But like I think, like you said, it's great to let everyone know. Make sure you have that plan B in place. Hopefully you won't ever need to use it. But in the event that um, things take longer in the hospital or you find yourself there longer than you expected. Well, we'll talk about that postpartum in just a moment. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show, and I have Dana Quealy on the line from Kaiser Permanente, certified nurse midwife. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what to expect after the delivery and what is that process like and how might it be better than before in some surprising and somewhat unexpected ways. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, and Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dana Quealy on the line. She's a certified nurse midwife at Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about that whole process of what is it like to give birth during coronavirus time. Not much different than prior, and hopefully this will maybe even create a new normal of a peaceful, quiet experience, if at all possible. Now, we were just talking about the unexpected, which sometimes happens. And, Dana, you mentioned that after you deliver, some babies do wind up in the neonatal intensive care unit, and there may only be allowed to be one person who comes in and out to visit them, probably with the temperature check and all those other sorts of things that need to be done. What are some of the other possible unexpected things that might occur that just in case you're not in and out in 24 hours, what other situations might arise? Well, I think the one that's probably on everybody's mind is uh, what if I come in there and I do test positive for COVID um, when they're expecting their baby? You know, like we were talking about earlier, we are testing um, all of our patients um, when they're admitted to labor and delivery. And I think, like you said, everyone's so reassured when they have the negative results. I think um, the question is, what if you have a positive result? And I don't want any family to spend too much time kind of going through all the possible scenarios there. But I do want them to know that um, it's it will be a process of what to do with mom and baby. Um, will there be a temporary separation? That that will be a shared decision-making that will be based on the best resources by the brilliant neonatologists and the wonderful folks in lactation and the just incredible infectious disease team that everyone will pool their best resources and best thoughts to make the right plan for that individual. And it will probably depend on 
whether the mom is actually sick or she's asymptomatic, right, whether she has symptoms or not, or if a family member is sick, and trying to decide where is the safest place um, for the baby. So I think that's one question on a lot of women's minds. I get asked that question actually a lot. Unfortunately, so far, we haven't had anyone who's really had to um, play out that scenario. But it sounds like there's plans in place, and depending on what's going on, the recommendations are going to be whatever is most appropriate to keep that baby and that family as safe as possible. To keep them safe, to keep them um, bonding also, and to keep that baby well-fed, however maybe the mom is planning. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of thinking going on behind the scenes to make the, the most appropriate plans. And you mentioned if a baby does have to stay in the hospital longer, that one person can visit. And is that generally just at a time or one person completely, same person every day? I think I can only speak for um, the facility where I am working, but they have one um, person a day for that baby. Um, and it's part of exactly what you talked about is babies in the NICU, those are really high, high-risk babies. And the goal is to keep everyone safe and everyone healthy. And so to really minimize the chance that any baby in there um, gets, you know, an illness. Um, that's why those, you know, recommendations are in place. It can be hard individually, but um, can be really beneficial for that whole community. And that is a vulnerable population, so we do need to protect them just as much as we're protecting everyone else, and in some cases, maybe even more. So a couple of quick things that I thought would bear mentioning is, yes, you might get a temperature check at the hospital. Yes, you might get a coronavirus test if you come into labor and delivery. But the other thing is to consider that you know, this is all done in an effort to keep people safe. They should not decide to have home birth if they're afraid of the hospital, that, in fact, the hospital may be the safest place based on everything going on and also based on all the safety measures that they're taking to make this the best experience possible. Would that be right? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because that is a question a lot of um, folks are asking, like, is it so unsafe in the hospital that Maybe I should just stay home. And, um, you know, we recommend that our patients come in the hospital, um, give birth in the hospital. Everyone is working to the utmost capacity to keep the hospital a safe and compassionate and really lovely, positive place to give birth and to really minimize, um, you know, the risk that someone would get coronavirus if they come into the hospital. That's why all of these things matter. That's why all of these strict rules are in place. It's really to keep the whole community really safe. Well, and it certainly bears repeating because I know that there are some folks who are worried about the process of coming to the hospital. And in fact, you know, worldwide, we've seen where did all the heart attack patients go? Where did all the stroke patients go? We're not seeing them present to the hospitals and emergency rooms as much. And we don't necessarily think it's because statistically they haven't had these events. We think some people have been avoiding hospitals because of the concern 
that they might get exposed. And certainly it's one thing to avoid a hospital when you are really sick and to know that that's not a good idea. But some folks who are healthy might also be worried as well. And, you know, hopefully the pregnant women who are about to give birth are healthy and want to be able to continue their process of childbirth in a safe environment. And even though they're going in healthy, they're going to be able to stay healthy because the chances of catching something in the hospital with all the safety precautions and other measures, much better. Absolutely. I mean, the hospital is an overwhelmingly safe and compassionate place um, to, to invite and welcome your baby. And um, like you said, all these policies that are put in place are really it that way. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Dana, for sharing your expertise with us today. And for all those soon-to-be moms or moms of expanded families out there, it's safe. Talk with your doctors, talk with your providers and your nurse midwives, and have a healthy, safe pregnancy as you welcome your next generation in the world. Thank you for joining us. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about more health topics right here on The Body Show. See you then.